Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers. And we're here to bring you some more Happy Holiday cheer by bringing you another Christmas horror film. That's right. We're not going to dive quite as deep as we did last week for The Green Knight. This movie is less of an onion and more like an apple. Or a potato. Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe like a potato. <laughs> there, there aren't as many layers to unravel with Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. I was going to say A Poisonous Core. <laughs> uh, this movie is very highly regarded and has made it onto many, many lists of the best Christmas horror movies and is one of the rare times that Chris and I are deep diving, hmm, diving into a movie that neither one of us has seen until we decided to do it for the podcast. I didn't realize that. I thought that you chose this very specifically. No, I mean, because people are always asking for us to do it or asking if we have seen it. And I'm like, no, we haven't. And everyone's like, oh, it's like the best Christmas horror movie. And I'm like, okay. And so when we're doing The Green Knight, which deals a lot with like mythology and folklore, yeah, you know, I was just like, Rare Exports seems like a good idea because it's kind of about mythology and folklore. Could be. Yeah. So, but Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale, is a 2010 Finnish fantasy action horror comedy film written and directed by Jalmari Hellander about people living near Korvatunturi who discover the secret behind Santa Claus. The film is based on the 2003 short film, Rare Exports, from the same director, and its 2005 sequel, Rare Exports, The Official Safety Instructions, by Jalmari Hellander and Juso Hellander, both of which involve a company that traps wild Santa Clauses, trains, and exports them to locations around the world. Gaining popularity after its initial release, the film has grown to become a holiday season cult classic among horror fans. Okay, listeners, watch your mouth. It's Christmas time, so let's act like it. This is Rare Exports. It's the most magical time of the year. When traditions are honored. And the youngest among us still believe in the spirit of the season. something else than just plain rocks and dirt. This mountain is like a giant icebox. For storing what? Drill deeper. Prepare the dynamite. You have a grave to rob. Mingalize Tsuretteke. Hyvä, yo. Santa Claus. Selitä sille, että meillä on täällä pukki myytävänä. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. 
you've been bad or good. And he doesn't give up. An American and British research team from the firm Sub-Zero are drilling samples from a hill in the cold-ass frozen wilderness of Finland. When the team leader finds sawdust on the excavated ice, the financier of the job is elated. He gives the team leader cards of rules for the workers to follow, essentially making sure they're nice, not naughty. The team leader laughs it all off, but the financier warns him that the holidays are no time for rule-breaking. As the team begins to excavate using explosives, two boys, Pieteri and Yusso, spy on them. Pieteri believes that Santa Claus is buried somewhere in the hill, but his friend laughs at his claims, telling him that Santa isn't real. Pieteri does some research, as he seems to have several books about Santa, all of which tell him that Santa is evil and tortures children, and is watching them. Local reindeer hunters, including Pieteri's father, are excited for the annual hunting day, which brings in most of their yearly revenue. However, this year, there are very few reindeers to be found. They find hundreds of reindeer carcasses and blame Sub-Zero for their deaths. They head to the hill for reparations, but find no trace of the company, only a deep pit of despair. On the... Sorry, I didn't mean to cough there. <laughs> On the morning of Christmas Eve, a wolf trap built by Pieteri's father, Rauno, has killed a skinny, naked old man. Pieteri and Raun learn that potato sacks, heaters, and hair dryers have all gone missing from houses in the area. When Pieteri finds an effigy in Yusto's bed, he soon learns that all of the children in his village have gone missing as well. Rauno and his Fellow hunters bring the naked old man corpse into his slaughterhouse, but discover that he's still alive. They make plans to dress the naked old man up in Santa outfit and sell him to Sub-Zero to make up for their financial losses. They take the old man in a cage to a nearby base, where they meet the financier arriving by helicopter. He tells them that the old man isn't Santa, but one of his elves, and they must be on their best behavior. Suddenly, many old naked elves appear and attack the group, killing the financier and his pilot. The hunters run into a hangar, where they find a giant horned being in an enormous block of ice being melted by the stolen heaters and hairdryers. They also find all the children tied up in the sacks. Pieteri takes control and hatches a plan. A hunter who is apparently a pilot comes out of the hangar and distracts the elves by throwing gingerbread at them to reach the helicopter. Rana makes a net which Pieteri climbs on as the helicopter picks up the sacks of children to lure the elves to the reindeer pen. The other men place explosives all over Santa Claus' ice block and cut off his horns before leaving. Gary climbs up off the helicopter net onto the reindeer pen to open the door as a horde of elves run towards him. Rado detonates the explosives, killing Santa and causing the elves to stop in the reindeer pen right before they can hurt Pieteri. Afterwards, the group of men in Pieteri train the 198 captured elves to become mall Santas and export them to cities around the world. The one was going to Zanzibar? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a mall Santa or like a real Santa. I don't know if I can know. Who knows? The end. end. Well, 
that was that movie. <clears throat> yeah. Rare Exports was simultaneously released in Finland, Norway, Sweden, Germany, the U.S., the U.K., and Australia on December the 3rd, 2010. Its release in the U.S. was very limited. It grossed a little more than $9,000 opening weekend from one theater, making it number 66 at the box office. By Christmas, it was playing on 21 domestic screens. Yikes. Things were different in the originating country, Finland. The film opened on 82 screens and debuted at the number one spot. Word of mouth traveled fast, and by the time the holidays ended, rare exports had brought in more than $3 million. $3 million? Yes. Rare exports holds an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes with an audience score of 70%. The site's consensus reads, Rare Exports is an unexpectedly delightful crossbreed of deadpan comedy and Christmas horror. On Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 71 out of 100 based on 18 critics, indicating generally favorable reviews. Roger Ebert awarded the film 3.5 out of 4 stars and called it a rather brilliant lump of coal for your stocking, and considered it an R-rated Santa Claus origin story crossed with The Thing. He continued, Apart from the inescapable fact that the movie has Santa and reindeer in it, this is a superior horror film, a spot-on parody of movies about dead beings brought back to life. Oh, and all the reindeer are dead. Ebert concluded that this is a fine film, an original, daring, carefully crafted film that never for one instant winks at us that it's a parody. In its tone, acting, location work, music, and inexorably mounting suspense, this is an exemplary horror film apart from the detail that they're not usually subtitled A Christmas Tale and tell about terrifying wallet Santas. It must must have been toward the end of his career. Um, Michael Raffin, what? Reschaffen. Michael Reschaffen of The Hollywood Reporter described the movie as a fiendishly entertaining Christmas yarn rooted in Northern European legend and lore, complete with the not-so-jolly old Saint Nick, informed more by the Brothers Grimm than Norman Rockwell. While the richly atmospheric package has been wrapped with a healthy dose of rye satire, it's not of the mean-spirited bad Santa variety. Hellander... A successful commercial director in his native Helsinki shrewdly blends just the right amounts of fairy tale wonder and action movie heroics into the oddball mix to a highly satisfying effect. Gosh, people love this movie. They really did. In fact, it almost got some accolades. What are they? Or at least one. Uh, it was nominated for Best International Film at the Saturn Awards, but it lost to Monsters, which apparently is an amazing Mexican film. It really is. Have you seen Monsters? No. It's so good. It's like apocalyptic and there's like very few characters in it. It's sort of the things that I like. Yeah. So, okay. But really, really good. All right. You want to get into this movie? Sure. Uh, so, yeah. Right. In, in 2003, the Finnish commercials uh, production company Woodpecker Film published the short movie Rare Exports Inc. online. And you can still see it on YouTube um, and some other channels as well. Although the film's writer and director, John Murray Hellander, established a band of three hunters, so like a marker, a sniper, and a tracker, searching the wilderness of Lapland for the wild Santa Claus. After the positive reception from an online audience, Woodpecker Film produced <laughs> and published the sequel short movie, Rare Exports, the official safety instructions in 2005, again with Hellander as writer-director. And then in 2007, Jilmari Hellander introduced producer Petri Jacrienta 
to his idea of a feature-length rare exports film based on his short films that had already acquired a cult reputation on the internet. Dacrienta's company, Senet, picked up the rights, and Hillander started to develop the concept together with Dacrienta. And there you have it. The full feature-length version of this movie essentially was born from that. So I kind of, ah, there for this discussion, kind of want to see these short films because as we'll get into, I'm sure, like, I feel like maybe this concept is better in a really smaller dose than what we're given. And it's already not a very long film. Mayhaps. And I'm assuming that uh, maybe some of the the humor is a little bit more heightened or obvious maybe in the shorts. I mean, because can you imagine, like, Rare Exports, the official safety instructions, right? So taking all those rules that are on the card, which I wish they had spent a little bit more time with in this movie, honestly. Yeah. Right? Seems, like, really funny. If it's telling you how to survive a wild Santa, right? Like, that seems like just a much better film and something that's a lot funnier than what we got. Yeah. And I don't know. People are still thinking this is funny. So, I don't know. We're underpaid and overworked. So maybe that was just our Christmas cheer peeking through our review. Possibly. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll, we'll get to some of our like thoughts on the film throughout the conversation, but yeah, I mean, maybe that was it. I did not find this movie to be very funny at all. Like I may have chuckled a couple times. Right. But by and largely, no. And yeah. maybe, maybe I just am extra tired or something like that. Or maybe cause I'm not finished. <laughs> well, I don't know. Because this director, this kind of opened the doors for him. Like uh, after he made those shorts and then he made this movie, it kind of put his name out there in a way that hadn't before. And he went on to do a big American movie in 2014 with Samuel L. Jackson. And of course, Ani Tamila, which plays the uh, the kid in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Felicity Huffman, Jim Broadman, and Ray Stevenson, the late Ray Stevenson, uh, rip from this year. Yeah. And that's at 78%. And I've never even really heard of this or I'd forgotten about it. It was just some, seems some like generic action film from 2014, but I've heard that it's really, really good. Or I've read that with Felicity Huffman. Yeah. And really? Samuel Jackson. <laughs> good Lord. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so it's like the like white house down type of situation, but I don't know how Ani Tamila is in it. Okay. So I don't know how they make that work. Anyway, it sounds really cool. So uh, I might check it out or at least watch a trailer. And then this last year, he came out with a movie called Sisu, which I had also heard of and I saw kind of go through an awards circuit, I think. Right. Um, so this is a historical action thriller around the time of World War II. And it stars Jorma Tamila, which played the father um, of the, the kid in this movie. Uh, and of course, Ani as well. And so this got a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes and is said to be one of the best action movies uh, of recent history. Wow. Okay. Well, that's really high praise for him. I mean, it seems like the movies that he has directed are getting really high scores on Rotten Tomatoes. And higher and higher. Right. And so, and then like he's coming out like maybe in 2024 or later with a movie called Jerry and Miss Universe. Theoretically, it was supposed to uh, be done during like the pandemic, but then the pandemic happened. And so he did Sisu instead. Okay. So this was postponed. So it's going to be uh, interesting to see what that is. And I do want to go back and see, you know, a big dumb action movie maybe with big game. And I, I am interested in seeing Sisu, especially since it's gotten um, that big. I feel like the direction in this movie is very competent. Yeah. Uh, the problems that it has, I don't have with, with really directing. Really. No. Um, I think it's put together quite well for what it is. Um, you know? So 
Uh, the two actors in this movie, the father and son, are father and son in real life. Yes, and that is now 33% of my fun facts that you've just torn away from me. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the season of giving, and I'm just taking. <laughs> taking, taking, taking. Take, take, take. All you do is take. Um, I am kind of interested to see some of these movies as well. I mean, like the actors in Big Game. I mean, Samuel Jackson, Felicity Huffman, that's, that's big. Yeah. And 94%. For historical action thriller, that seems really high. So, I mean, good. And like, you're right. I mean, I feel like this movie was competently directed. I'm not sure what my problem was with it. And I'm sure we'll probably like get to the the heart of that, like while we're talking. But I feel like the movie looked really good. I feel like I just didn't get it. Like it wasn't wasn't on the same wavelength as as the movie. I was already kind of in a shit mood. Yeah. And, you know, like some some movies you just have to be in the right mood for. And I just wasn't. That's true. And I think, okay, so, I mean, like maybe maybe that's part of it. You know, like I have to say that I'm not always in the holiday spirit. You know what I mean? Like Christmas for me always seems kind of rushed and I usually work a lot during yeah. the holidays. And so, like, like, I don't really look forward to that. And it's just not the holiday of my choosing. And that's probably, and a lot of other Americans are the same. So you look at our Christmas movies and it's like Gremlins and, and you know, like Krampus or something. Yeah. They're really fucking over the top. Because it has to be to kind of reach us emotionally because our souls are so, <laughs> I don't know, overburdened by the holiday season, you know. And so I don't know. It's just, uh, I wasn't ready to laugh. And so I, I chuckled maybe a couple times and thought, oh, that's unique. But it's so high concept. Right. It's almost like a slave to its concept a little yeah, bit. For real. And it's kind of tropey. Right. And so some of it might have also been lost in translation, uh, you know, because I can't a lot of, you know, is inflection and in how people are, are speaking the the native language. And this is all subtitle, you know, and there's there's some parts of it that are in English as well, you know, but that's oh, yeah. kind of far and few in between, you know, and like the parts that are in English, you have a character like um translating for the people who don't speak English, you know, and that's always kind of a slog to see. But I feel like, I feel like this movie at its core has a really good idea to it. And I I think, again, like I said earlier, I feel like that might've just been better in a shorter film. And I can see why a short film based on this would garner more of a cult following, but this movie seems to have garnered a cult following of its own. But I feel like the direction that the story went in, was kind of a misstep for me. Yeah. I wanted to see more about the evil Santa lookalike elves and more about the giant Krampus looking Santa Claus in the hangar and less about the townsfolk trying and, to get money. And maybe I kind of, I'm starting to think about this more as we talk about it. And I'm starting to wonder if I really didn't get it. <laughs> and maybe, yeah, like they do have this, this, um, I remember just being, I feel like an idiot, you know, I just was like really, getting bored and I think almost falling asleep a couple of times. Same. And um, I remember them looking at the ice uh, with the, the Krampus in there, yep. you know, which he looks like a giant fucking Krampus. He does. And thinking, Oh, like uh, then they're saying, um, Oh, I always wondered how, you know, Santa was doing his thing, doing presents all over the world, you know? And uh, Oh, I thought, Oh, maybe he's like this Cthulian thing. Cause he's stuck in the ice or whatever. And they yeah. made it seem almost like Lovecraftian. But then I realized, no, it's probably because duh, these aren't elves. They're actually the Santas that, that people would actually be talking about from legend or whatever. Exactly. Dark Santas. Like yeah. these are the elves for the real Santa, but th- this is what the world would see as the Santas. Exactly. Right. And that's what their rare export is, is that we're, you know, those were the Santas. 
and we're retraining them to be not instead of evil, but actual Santas. Yes. Right. And so, um, yeah, I was getting that, oh, maybe he has like tentacles or he's like metaphysical or something like that. And, you know, cause he was this giant thing. And that's another thing is that for a movie that's kind of based around the mythology of Santa, let us fucking have Santa for real. And he never I, gets out of the goddamn ice. It just blow him up and that's it. I, and I really have a problem with that. Like, so when this movie first started, right. And we have this long introduction about like what's going on yeah. with this company drilling into the, the, the hill, you know, it's not even a mountain really, but like things that have been deposited over time, you know, and they, they create this whole backstory about like, we're digging, we found this, like there's something in there. Yeah. They talk about excited. like the wood chips or whatever the sawdust is sawdust. used as like an insulator to keep mm-hmm. ice ice, even though it's all. Yeah. So someone's trying to keep the Santa Claus frozen, yeah. you know? And so I'm like, there's this huge backstory that they kind of, they hint to and then he hands him that card of rules and you can you can barely see what's on it like no smoking no cussing no blah 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 and I'm like okay they've really set this up for something good and then I'm guessing a lot of that might be in the shorts I don't know I think so like based on that intro I thought we were getting like another thing like it was going to be about that group you Mm -hmm. know diggers or something right you know and then or maybe even like an aliens style movie about the hubris of mankind or whatever right you know uh, you know this financier is going to treat like the men like they're you know um, you know whatever the word is they use an alien it's like fodder essentially yeah, like fodder right yeah. and so uh but that's not the movie we got it kind of segues and pivots to this like small family dynamic with their friends below you know yep. which maybe it rightly does you know and that's the more important or family style movie but it's also the more tropey one and that, that's that's true you know like i i just feel like so way back in our first year of the podcast, we covered Krampus, right? Which is a really fun, like holiday romp. Very, very American, you yeah. know, but like when that boy was looking at books during the credit sequence, right? And we're getting all these like illustrations of what Santa Claus truly is or whatever, or what he's discovering is more like Krampus, right? I was getting very excited for what this movie was going to be. And I was like, if we're going to get that kind of Santa Claus that these people have to deal with or whatever like i'm i'm totally into it right and then even even when like that elf and they don't really call it an elf in the movie they, he says it's santa's helper right or at least it's how it's subtitled the santas are actually santa's helpers yeah right, and right. i also thought like the main characters did that these were the americans that were just kind of like turned into zombies kind of like uh you know ren renfield from right. Dracula or something, but they all look alike. And I'm like, I don't remember the Americans looking like that. And then they're killing everything they see. Mm-hmm. So then I realized, Oh, these were the things that were frozen with Santa, I guess that they came out of it. Yeah. So they were also released, right? Yeah. Like before bombs or something. And I'm just like, okay, maybe there was exposition in here and I didn't get it or I missed it. I don't, I didn't fall asleep. I was bored, but I, I don't, I don't think I missed any exposition. So, so there were some things that were confusing in here, and maybe it's just that I wasn't into it. I wasn't paying as much attention with my, you know, full throttle brain as I should have, uh, or as or as I could have. But like, there's a couple of things in here that I just didn't understand until like after the movie. <laughs> I mean, and there's some like, there's some like funny moments. Like, obviously, like all these like Santa's helpers, these mall Santa lookalikes, right, are running around completely naked. There's like Santa dong all over this fucking oh, yeah. movie, and they all have like um, black feet. Mm-hmm. You know, and then um, obviously they can heal from horrible wounds and they're immortal of some kind. You know? Yeah. So because it jumps into a fucking like pit and then it's still alive. It bites someone's ear off. But I that's mean, what like, I was thinking I was thinking they were changed. 
mm. from the, the workers up there. No, they're just like mythological creatures, you know? And I feel like, yes, but like they have nothing special about them other than like their wolf-like eyes every once in a while when they see a kid. Yeah. And, and then they're like, they're helping Santa Claus and bringing Santa Claus what he needs, which is like children to torture, I guess. You know? And it's like the guy was inspecting the Santa at the end also. It's like, none of this is helping me, right? He's inspecting the Santa at the end. And it's like, it takes him like five minutes to figure out, oh, that's not Santa. That's yeah. the helper. That's one of his helpers. Like, you're the one that saw the giant fucking pile of ice with the big horns. I mean, like, you know, that's not Santa. Yeah. Anyway, well, he whatever. was telling them, obviously, you know, but like, that's the thing is that like, I, I feel like this movie is trying to say something, obviously, right? I don't know what it is. I don't know. I think it's just like, a f- I think it's fun. You know, obviously it has the, there's themes. I feel, I feel like um, it's a subversion of Peter and the Wolf, you know, which is also a trope. The, the no one believes the kid. Yeah, that's true. You know, there's a father and son get closer after mom dies trope or mm-hmm. father and daughter or, you know, mother and son, you know, always, that's always a trope. Uh, don't meet your heroes, myths and legends. Obviously, uh, this is based on Krampus. I already mentioned there might be Lovecraftian, uh, you know, ideas here with Santa um, to make him even more supernatural and dark, um, almost satanic the way he's like looking with the horns and all that or demonic, but it's also at the same time, like a, like a really strange, strangely tame movie. Yeah. I feel Outside like- of the dick, like there's like almost no fucking blood and guts or horror. No, there's only a couple moments of like real violence. Like when that financier dies, right? Maybe. And then that's it, you know? And even that like was kind of shocking only because I felt like that character was going to last a little bit longer because again, we get all this exposition. That was near the end of the movie, though. Yeah, but there was no follow-up to any of the stuff that they built on. No. And I thought for sure, like, he'd be around to, like, point things out to us. But no, he's dead. They also show, like, this blob on an x-ray the kid's always pointing to. But I was like, I can't understand what's on the x-ray. Yeah. And I guess later it was just the ice with the horns coming out of it. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't know that until, like, much later afterwards. So, I don't know. This movie's kind of a mess in a weird way. But I feel like if you're on the same wavelength of it and are laughing with it, uh, and, you know, are ready to to love it. I feel like this could have been something I'd enjoyed more. And I'm going to have to do so on another watch. Agreed. And I feel like, I feel like, again, I feel like there's there's something this movie is trying to say. Maybe it's about like the the commercialism of the holiday or something like that, perhaps. But Except the, the good guys are commercializing it. Exactly. They're trying to get the money they want, right? I mean, like, A... I felt kind of sad that they were killing a beloved like Christmas animal. I was just like, they're killing all the reindeer. I was just like, why? What the hell kind of Christmas movie is this? They're killing all the reindeer. And then they're killing like the collecting all the children mm-hmm. for Krampus. Except that the mythology is still that you're safe if you're good. But so, he was, so that kid wasn't the only good one. Like, well, um, he like he, he asked his dad to spank him at some point. Right. Yeah. Because he did something wrong. Spank me. I put on the grill shaped light. A <laughs> <laughs> spanking. Um, so maybe he just like, because he had penance or whatever. I don't know. But like, 20, I also feel like. should be enough or whatever. Yeah. Like we, we just spent a, a long time during our conversation on the Green Knight talking about like tox- toxic masculinity. Right. And I feel like this movie is also fairly masculine and in, in other ways, there's zero women. In there this are no women literally in this zero. movie like on camera. Now you've like, except like 
maybe mentioned or like seen in a picture or something. Like exactly. That. He talks about his mom, you know, and that's it. And then like, we're still given, like, it's all these men, they're, they're hunters, right? They're very, very masculine. The man does not want to cry in front of his son. He's like, good boys should go to bed right now. Mm-hmm. When really he's just saying like, I need to have a Christmas moment to myself and think about my dead wife or whatnot. And I, like, while that's touching, I feel like if you're going to, if you're going to have that trope, of a father and son getting closer after Tired your mom dies. Like, we'll just have more of it. Maybe they, you have a really good point there because it's like, we're just kind of done with it after Green Knight, you know, all the bullshit because yeah. of this pointing out and, uh, you know, the just the fear of vulnerability. Yes. You know, and that's like all over this movie a little bit, just like, but using it in the normal way versus trying to subvert it. And so it's probably just not the best combination of films to watch back to back to. Yeah, probably. I mean, and all through this movie, you have this man like trying to teach his son to be a grown up, right? Like his son doesn't want to go into the slaughterhouse to see him cutting up a, a hog or whatever, you know, but he comes in and his son keeps his eyes closed. But then later on, he like gives him a gun and he's like, is it loaded? And he's like, yeah, you know, like, what would the point be if I gave you an unloaded gun yeah. for hunting? And so- Obviously, by the end of the movie, the son has, you know, proven himself worthy to his father and they start this whole like wild Santa business, you know? And I feel like toward the end of this movie, when they're actually exporting the Santas and stuff like that, that's when it becomes the movie that I wanted to see. When they're having that countdown at the end of the film, like leading up to the next Christmas and they're training the Santas, like giving them like babies, like dolls to hold and comfort, like a mall Santa. And it gets to be like kind of fun and kind of silly. Yeah. I feel like this movie is like dancing around all the movies I want to see. I want to see the Cthulian Santa stuff. I want to see the team unearthing and having like a thing or an alien style movie, you know, where I want that, that more gremlin-y kind of comedy at the end with the, with the fake Santas or, the, the Santa's in training, you yeah. know, but it's like everything that gets us there. It's like, I'm less interested in. I think what we're saying is we wanted a horror movie, <laughs> right? I want a horror movie or I want a straight comedy. And I love genre bending stuff. I mean, we just talked about the green Knight. Exactly. We do adjacent stuff all the time. And you know, genre is almost like what you make of it, but this one just didn't hit the mark for me in any genre. I think what saves this movie is some of like its qualities, right? We already talked about the direction being good. Like clearly that's, that's not the problem. I think the problem is with the story and trying to create something longer out of something that should be shorter, but like it looks really good. You know what I mean? It does. Uh, the cinematography by Mike Arasma was uh, amazing. I mean, it sounds good. The music by uh, Julia Seppa and Miss Seppa. I don't think I'm going to be able to find the soundtrack to this. Yeah. It's going to be hard uh, in order to put on the, the podcast. So I'll try and find something else. Probably <laughs> maybe from Krampus. I don't know. No, um, but like I said, the direction is competent. The acting is competent. Everything here is really competent. I, I, I actually took us myself aside consciously and said, this movie is photographed very beautifully, right? The effects are all right. You know, yeah. it's just like, um, tonally I wasn't there for it. And then like story wise, plot wise, I wasn't really there for it. I just wasn't into it. Um, so like I said, wavelength matters. Um, you know, we'll try better next time. Maybe. Well, and that's not to say that on other watches we might not yeah. like this movie more. That's what I'm you saying. Know? Yeah. yeah, of course. Like, I I feel like we're always open to trying movies again and seeing because at the end of the day, this movie is highly regarded by critics and it has a lot of fans. So, I mean, like we said earlier in the episode, like people have talked to us for the last like five years on social media saying, have you seen this movie? Yeah, it's hard to believe this is at 90%. And uh, I, I believe the audience at 70%. I think it's cute enough for them. Yeah. You know, but maybe that's just the the novelty of it. Like people really want that high concept. 
I mean, if you look at like Violent Night, that just came out with David Harbour. It's like almost the Americanized version of this or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched maybe like half of it the other night. And it was just fucking dumb. It's fucking stupid. But it's hilarious and dark and over the top. And maybe that's what I should have watched because I mean, it's so fucking American. Yeah, and I like movies like that. I really, really like holiday horror. I'm disgusted with myself. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is why like when we get to December every year, I'm really happy to talk about like holiday horror. I love it. It doesn't matter the holiday, yeah. but you know, like it's 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 shocking to me that a movie could be this recommended that I watch and I'm like, oh, I just wasn't I wasn't feeling it or I didn't like it. I'm sure that's not the case. I need to go back and watch it again, and I feel like this movie has enough going for it in the fun department and then just like in the, the cinematic qualities of it to make me watch it again. Also now, yeah, we usually like these types of movies better the second time anyway, because yeah. the letdown is already behind us. Yeah. We already true. know what to expect. It's true. You know, I mean, cause the first time I watched Krampus, I liked it. When I read right? the synopsis, I thought it was going to be, even before I watched the movie, I read the synopsis and I knew it was going to be like aliens or the thing or something mm-hmm. like that. No. So, well, I mean, from the trailer alone, I think the tra- I think it's a really good trailer. I never watched the trailer. Oh, the trailer is excellent, and mm. it kind of is not the movie that you're given. Yeah. You know, it's 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 it doesn't. Let me job. guess, they made it look a lot more thriller horror-y than it is. Yeah, well, they also made it look a lot more fun than I think it is too. This is a fun movie, but the trailer makes it look very fun. And it makes it seem a little bit more like they're spending time like taming the Santas than they are. Wow. You know, and again, I just I keep going. They have back. to explain why it's called rare exports to yep. the audience with the trailer, mm-hmm. right? Because it makes no fucking sense until the very, very, very fucking end. Yep, which so, is also kind of annoying. Again, I feel like I keep going back to it, but I feel like I need to go watch the short films because I think that they're probably way more enjoyable than this movie. Yeah. So, do you have some fun facts for me? <laughs> Not really. Uh, well, some less now. I yeah, I have two fun facts now. <laughs> so at five minutes, and 45 seconds, there's an explosion on the mountain and the resulting smoke takes on the form of two horns foreshadowing later events in the movie. I, that's the other thing I really wanted from this. I wanted that ice to melt and I wanted to see what that was look like. So I'm saying dead. Okay. And for my final, this is apparently one of Kate Blanchett's favorite films. <laughs> Kate. Kate. <laughs> I feel like that's got like took way out of context and someone ran with it. Cause I feel like if I look that up or someone asked Kate Blanchett today, she's going to be like, what? <laughs> so, so if I ever meet Kate Blanchett, I'm going to be like, so I hear your favorite, one of your favorite movies is rare exports. And she's going to be like, I don't even know what the fuck that is. What? Exit wounds. What? <laughs> <laughs> like my first question is how is it making tar? And the second question, rare exports. Really, Kate? (laughs) Really? All right. Well, we have some questions to ask about this movie, and we'll go ahead and start with, is it a horror movie? Yeah, adjacently. Yeah. Yeah. It's trying to be. Yes. It's a little try hard. I would feel like we talked about The Green Knight, and it's it's very definitely horror adjacent, right? And it's trying to be, and more is succeeding to be, many different genres of movie. Yeah. Right? And this one, I feel like it's trying to be a horror movie. And just not. And somehow Green Knight almost feels more like a horror movie than this one because it's so existentially so. Yes. Versus this one is like try hard horror. And there could be, this could have been a horror movie, like just in your face horror. By someone that doesn't like horror or something, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Were you scared? No. God, no. No, I wasn't either. Not even uncomfortable. I was bored (laughs) half the time. And I don't, I don't know why the movie moves at a really fast clip. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's not even an hour and a half long. 
and like it it gets in there it gets the job done it tells its story i was also bored though because i wasn't getting the things that i wanted from it like honestly yeah i'm really really interested to see what our listeners think Oh my God. Yes. I cannot wait to hear like they will probably disagree with us wholeheartedly. Well, I'd like to see people that are watching it just kind of, you know, for the first time versus something that was their favorite for 10 years. That's true. You know, I'd like to people like if you've watched this recently, especially like within the six months or you're watching this with us Mm -hmm. uh, and please don't shy away from it just because, you know, we seem to be a little, you know, spiky about it. (laughs) Uh, Let us know what you thought. You know, see if we're way off base. And uh, with that being said, out of five stars, what did you give Rare Xbox? I give it two and a half. So like an average or meh rating. Yeah. I gave it three stars. I feel because like the cinematic qualities of it were good. It was it was a neat movie yeah. to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't find any faults with its making, really. Like you said earlier, it was a tonal issue for mm-hmm. me. Technically and artistically, I think it's a, it's a great movie. Yeah. I, I mean, I would watch it again for that alone. And also, I feel like parts of it were really, really fun, you know, and like the, the fun parts were enough to make me want to watch it again. Will it be added to my like pantheon list of movies I like to watch every Christmas season? No, probably not. No. You know, but I would watch it again. And I think that lends something to its rating. So I think three three stars is is a good average rating for a movie that was fine. I just want Michael Doherty to go back and make like Krampus too and <laughs> I kinda want Michael Doherty to make an oh, American remake of, of Rare Exports. <laughs> yeah. You something. know, I feel like I feel like he would do it a little better maybe. Yeah. Um, so finally, who's the hottest guy in Rare Exports? Probably Finish Daddy. Finish Daddy for sure. Finish Daddy for the win. I just wish that he was walking around in like chunkier knits or something. But yeah, Finish Daddy was hot. And like the rest of the hunters, probably not so much. I guess like second in line would be like the team leader of Sub-Zero, the firm or whatever. I didn't even realize that that was what they were called. Were you not? I mean, like I think that the part that I like gasped out loud at the most and that I was so like shocked by was that child running around in the snow in just his underwear. I was like, he's cold. Also. These fathers yeah. are terrible fathers. Yeah. Letting See, their children like run amok. It literally was like a town with, I don't think, I can't even remember the last time I saw a movie that had zero women. Well, and I'm just like, and also none of these dads noticed that their kids were missing. Of course, the first thing that came to mind was the thing, you know. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there's no one that. <laughs> but that's it. That's all I can think of off the top of my head. Mm. Predator. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's a woman in Predator. <laughs> there is a woman in Predator. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Mio. <laughs> exactly. See you, remember? Ryotaka. <laughs> I think that just about wraps up our conversation on rare exports. And like Chris said earlier, we really want to know what you think about this movie and our conversation about it. Find us on social media at the Film Flamers on X, formerly known as Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Threads. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com or call our hotline at 972-666-7733. Call me Finnish Daddy. Mm. I want you to export in me. <laughs> Give me your rare export. <laughs> hmm. I don't even know. <laughs>
<laughs> what is Chris going to think when he exports this wave file? Wait. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nerd joke. Uh, that wraps up our holiday content for you here on the Film Flamers. We have more stuff coming out for you in the new year. So in January, stay tuned because we are heading back to some Stephen King and covering an amazing actress that I feel Chris and I both love. Kate Blanchett? No. (laughs) (laughs) Another Kate. A Kathy, in fact. Kathy Bates. (gasps) Kathy Bates. That's right. In the cold winter months, we're going to be talking about Misery and then following that up with her other Stephen King performance in Dolores Claiborne. I'm her number one fan. It's called Hobbling, Chris. <gasps> you know that's not actually a line. It's not? We'll get into that. Oh, Mandela Effect. Yeah. Okay. It's not actually a line from the movie. Well, stay tuned for that because I've been saying that my whole life and now I feel like a dumbass. So we want to wish you guys the happiest of holidays to all who celebrate. Stay warm. And have some sweet dreams. Are you sure she doesn't say that? I'm pretty sure. I think she tells the story of, uh, in blah, 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 this is when they blah, blah, blah. They called it Hoblin, blah, 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 you know, or something like that. It's not like with his name or anything. So it's more like a model. Just like it's, it's one of those, Luke, I am your father. He never says that. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, bring on misery. Yeah. Party here. (laughs) <laughs> Merry Christmas. <Over> here. <laughs>